If you recall, we've come off uh, three weeks talking about how God's desire for us as his church, as his people, is to be together. Three weeks of being together we talked about. Together in spirit, together in action, and together and moving forward. Last week is what we talked about. Now, if you're interested in catching up on those messages, you can find them on our podcast. If you go search Engage Boise on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you can find them there. Also, our YouTube channel has the whole service there still. You can subscribe to those things, and then you'll see our message pop up in the form of a podcast every Tuesday. And you can just listen to it again, listen to it if you missed it. If you're usually helping kids and you're not in and hear the message, you can go listen to the podcast. That's one of the reasons we have it. So I just want you to know you can go hear it. I'm not going to go over too much of it today, those last few weeks, but just know this. All of us, every single one of us, we are uniquely made by God. God made you to be exactly what you are. We all have gifts that he's given us, incredible, unique gifts. And God wants us as his people, as his church, to use those gifts for the edification of his people, as well as to point others to him. That's what God made us to do with those gifts. As we continue into chapter 4, Paul's, he's beginning to go from the more philosophical into the practical. He's taking a little bit to get there. He's taking his time. But he's getting to the more practical part. And he's going to start talking to the Ephesians here about some things that are going to be uncomfortable. It's never comfortable to tell people stuff uh, that's going to be hard for them to hear. The thing he's going to start telling them is that if they were really going to serve God, they were going to be a Christian. If they were going to follow Jesus, then they were going to look different. They're going to serve God. They had to look different than they looked before. See, friends, once we begin to walk in the light, there's an undeniable change that happens in our hearts and in our lives. There's nothing, though, that will throw someone off in life in general than just making something different when they don't expect it, right? How many of you just love change, don't mind it at all? Manasseh, well, that's good, yeah, Cliff, I like that. How many of you are like, do not change anything, don't pry it from my cold, dead fingers, right? A few of you. So a great example uh, is your cell phone, right? I just brought mine up here so I can hold up an example. This is an uh, iPhone XS, I think, pictures of my boys on the background there, you know? So here's what happens with cell phones. Now, there's two kinds of people. Again, I will take a poll here. This is very unscientific. How many of you here... Uh, you know, if your phone wants an update, you're like, amazing, new update, you install it right away, and you're just pumped to see what happens. I'm that way. I'm like, sure, I'll try it. No problem. I mean, if my phone doesn't work for a few hours, what's the big deal, right? How many of you were like, do not update my phone. I will push the button when I am good and ready. More of you are that way. My wife would be that way. She's like, do not change my home screen. Don't change where my icons are. Don't change how my volume buttons work. I'm going to use this phone until it no longer turns on. And I've had to pry phones from her fingers that no longer work. And she's calling me. And she's like, your phone must be broken. I can't hear you. <laughs> I'm like, no, I think it's your phone that you, you know, we haven't updated for the last seven years, right? Some of you uh, can identify with that. You're like, don't change the things I'm familiar with. Because it upsets our apple cart whenever something changes, especially unexpectedly. Now, I will say it's the worst when you've got a computer or a phone or something. And it updates without you giving it permission to Oh, man, right? It updates. It says, sorry, you had to update. There was a security patch, and then it changes everything. Man, that's frustrating. Because the thing is, once the chain happens, especially the change happens, especially with these tech companies, uh, things are different, and there's no going back. They do not let you go back. You install that update, man, you're not going back unless you figure out how to go through 
25 steps and hack your device, right? Not that I have ever done the 25 steps and hacked the device. You know, I wouldn't know that from experience or anything. <laughs> this morning, we're talking about walking in the light. We're talking about having a fundamental change in our lives. Let's read about it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Let's just read these, uh, these verses together. I'm reading to you out of the NIV this morning. Your, your heading might say walk in the light. It might say, mine says instructions for Christian living. Here we go. So I'll tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having less all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This morning, friends, I've got three things for us that happen when we are in the light. First, when we're in the light, number one, we aren't who we were before. When we're in the light, we're not who we were before. Now, uh, if you've got New King James or regular King James or something like that this morning, you'll see a different word than live, right? The NIV that I just read you, it says you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Yours says walk. Must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. It says the same thing back in verse 1 of chapter 4. This is a term we've heard many times and we refer to all the time in church. When we talk about our relationship with God, we'll often call it what? Our walk with him. That's the idea that Paul is going for. It's the daily stuff you do with God. Either way, what Paul's getting at here and beginning to drill down to you is our daily conduct. He's saying your daily conduct, your every day has to change. Paul's saying that our daily conduct our every day, once we accept Christ, it should look different than it did before. If Christ is inside of us, we should look different than we did before. Everything about us should be different because, friends, when we're walking in the light, we aren't who we were before. Paul says something I think is very interesting here. Interesting because it's kind of the opposite of what he has been pounding and pounding the, the whole first part of Ephesians. Remember the beginning of Ephesians, and we talked about it quite a bit. Paul talked a lot about the need for the Jewish people to become less legalistic. He's saying, stop trying to be saved by your rules and your regulations and your sacrifices and accept Jesus. Begin to embrace a true relationship with Christ. He's been saying this over and over. The Gentiles, however, we've touched on this, they would have had the opposite problem of the Jewish people. We talked about how the majority of the Gentiles, they would not have known anything about the things of God. They've been completely ignorant to the things of God. But everyone is going to worship something. In an absence of the true God to worship the Gentiles, they have begun to worship every indulgence there was. And just as he had warned the Jewish people, hey, don't go back to your legalistic ways. Don't go back to the rules trying to save you. He warns the Ephesians not to go back to the pagan way of life that they practiced before they knew Christ. 
And saying Gentiles, he's not referring to an ethnicity here. He's referring to a previous way of living. He's just saying, hey, you guys that I'm writing this to, all of you Christians who are in Ephesus, don't go back to the ways of the godless. Don't go back to what you were doing before. And in these couple of verses, Paul gets very specific. He talks about some interesting things. In verses 17 through 19, I want to just point out for you uh, what Paul gives us, four characteristics of an ungodly lifestyle, four characteristics of someone who doesn't know the Lord. What he's doing is he's giving us a measuring stick for our lives and for our hearts. One of those characteristics of a godless lifestyle is a futile mind. A futile mind. Verse 17, we read it there. It tells them to no longer live in the futility of their thinking. And that seems kind of harsh. But think about what that word futile means. Futile means to me, whatever it is you are doing, you may as well not even be doing it because it's not going to help. If it's a futile effort, there's, there's no reason for you to even be trying it. Because you're missing something that you need to accomplish what you're trying to do. In fact, that's what the word actually means, futile, incapable of producing any good result. And what Paul means here is that without Christ, it's impossible to process this world in the correct way. If we don't have Jesus, we can't process everything that's going around us in the right way. It's kind of like having the right tool, physical tool for a job. How many of you have tried to do a job without the right tool? It's very frustrating and futile. In fact, a few weeks ago, uh, if you go out and you see in the nursery, we've got this thing of like eight cubbies that my my wife had me get on Amazon. She thought it would work well in there. And I thought, yeah, that, that will work well. So we're here, and what do you do? You find the studs. We had the stud finder, and we tested to make sure the studs were in there. But there's cubbies, and you put it together, and then you, you screw it to the wall, and it was bought on Amazon. So, of course, they didn't actually send the screws to screw it into the wall. So we had to find those, drill the holes in the cubby, measure it, and all this stuff. So uh, where the studs were, I got the, the ones on the sides in pretty easily with my drill, you know, Drill, drill the thing in there. But the, cu- the cubbies are kind of small, right? They're little cubbies. And the third one, I went to drill in there, and there was a problem. My drill, where the screw was, it, it wouldn't fit in there. I couldn't get my drill in there and get the bit on the screw at the same time. So I spent like 20 or 25 minutes here. You know, all my other tools are at home 30 minutes away. So I spent, you know, 25, 30 minutes trying to angle that drill, trying to muscle it in there. With a screwdriver, essentially what I was doing was stripping the screw, not getting it in there at all. It was a completely futile effort because I did not have the right tool to finish the job. So what I did is I left and I stopped at Lowe's on my way home and I bought a $9 extension thing for my drill. And then I finished the job in literally 45 seconds when I got here on Sunday morning. (laughs) It was a futile effort because I didn't have the right tool. And friends, in this life, without Christ, we're never going to make any progress. It is a futile effort to live in this world if you don't have Jesus in your heart because your mind is not renewed. It's a futile effort to process this world without Jesus. The Gentiles before Christ, they only knew of this pagan, godless worldview. But when they accepted Christ, they suddenly had these tools to exist in this world they've been placed in. Today, a sign uh, of where someone is at in their walk with God, it's in how they view their everyday. Is our thinking, friends, is our thinking futile? Is it without God? 
Or is it processed through his word and through his heart? Because a mind that is one with the mind of Christ, it shows that we aren't who we were before. Another characteristic of a godless life is that we are separated from God. And this speaks to how we get to the place where your mind is futile. This is how you get to where your mind is futile, because you're separated from God. And if someone is separated from God, there's no way for them not to have futile thinking. If you don't have God, you're you're thinking it's going to be futile. And the truth is, if someone is separated from God, then their choices are going to reflect that they're separated from God. Well, they might be able to hide it for a little while. Or they might be a good person. But if someone is separated from God, their choices are going to reflect that they're separated from God. The question for us as the church is how do we interact with them? Because there's people who are separated from God all over the city. So do we, as Christians, do we separate ourselves from them because they're separated from God? Refuse to uh, interact with them? Or do, you, do we allow God, who, as we talked about Wednesday night, is sanctifying us day by day, making us more like him day by day? Do we allow God to use us as a living, everyday witness of his love and his salvation? That's what I believe God would have us do. Another characteristic of someone who is living a godless life is that they have lost their sensitivity to sin. This is something that, uh, for some reason, is close to my heart. Those first two characteristics we talked about are pretty stark. Because it can be easy to tell if someone's mind is futile. They just don't get it. Or if their choices are separating them from God. But losing sensitivity to sin, that's something that can happen over time. And to be honest with you, friends, church, that's something that we as believers have to guard against so much. Losing our sensitivity to sin. It's the classic frog in a pot of water example, right? We all heard this when we were in elementary school. If you want to try to boil a frog, I mean, I, I always thought when my teacher was explaining this to me, why would you actually want to boil a frog in water? That sounds mean, right? But if you boil the water, you drop the frog, and he's going to jump out right away. But the illustration goes, if you put him in the cold water, and then you heat it up slowly, he won't know what's happening until it's too late. And as Christians, that is the danger to us in this world. We have to live in it. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, we have to find the line between the sacred and the secular, and we have to live on the sacred side. In view of the secular side, so we can speak to others about Jesus. But it's such a danger for us to lose our sensitivity to sin. And it's especially dangerous to our kids and our grandkids. I had this pastor once who said, he always said, uh, your kids will, whatever you do, your kids will do in excess. And I used to be like, well, that's just a, trying to get our attention. But man, it's so true. Whatever we do, friends, our kids and our grandkids are going to do even more. If we lose sensitivity to sin, our kids and our grandkids, they're going to be tempted to lose it even more. The thing is, it's easy to live in this world, and because the onslaught can be so relentless online and on TV and in books you read or whatever, that the things that grieved our heart before, they might not grieve our heart anymore. Now, we expect someone who doesn't know Christ to have no sensitivity to sin. How would they know if they don't know Jesus? But the more we lose our sensitivity to sin, the less we have the mind of Christ. Let that sink into you for a moment. The less, uh, the more we lose our sensitivity to sin, the, the less we have the mind of Christ. And when we walk in the light, remember, we aren't who we were before. 
The trouble comes if we try and keep one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God. It's really easy to continue existing in the shadow instead of the light. One more characteristic of those who don't know God, who don't walk in the light, is that they live for pleasure. Your Bible may say something about having a calloused heart. Uh, if you've got, new, you've got King James, New King James, I think NASB even says calloused heart. What does a callus do, right? If you've got a callus on your skin somewhere, it insulates the soft skin that's underneath. It protects it. Our society, friends, I don't have to tell you this. I'm sure you know, but I'll just reiterate it. It's striving to normalize sensuality, personal pleasure at any cost. Our society is saying, hey, everything is okay. Whatever you think is good, you just go try it. I'm here to tell you, friends, friends, the Bible does define sin and not sin. And as Christians, it's our duty. It's what God asks us to do to live the right way. That's what our society says. Oh, if it feels good, do it. And the more a person lives that way, though, in the, well, I'm just going to do this because it feels good, the more we live that way, the harder the callus becomes. You start to build that callus up. The farther our heart is from the truth. And I might add, the harder a callus is, the more difficult they are to remove, the more painful they are when they come off. I've mentioned before, I used to play basketball a lot when I was younger. And uh, basketball, especially for me, because I'm a small guy, you move around a lot. And uh, you get big old calluses on your feet, like on the balls of your feet. And, uh, you know, calluses can be great things because they protect uh, your feet, you get them on your hands, right, if you're always gripping something. And I had these huge calluses on my feet, and one time I came home, I was going to school in Seattle, and I came home, and I went to play basketball at the YMCA or something, and I didn't have good shoes. I had shoes that didn't fit. They were like a size too big, and my feet were sliding around. I had this huge callus on the inside of my foot, and uh, I was playing basketball on these shoes that didn't fit, and f- suddenly I just felt something give on my foot. And, of course, I kept playing because that's what uh, dumb 20-year-old guys do. You keep playing when you get hurt, right? You never stop. Why would you ever stop? doesn't make any sense. And I got home, and what had happened is that callus, because my foot was sliding around, had split right down the middle. And my whole foot got swollen. And I could hardly put any weight on that thing. One of the most painful injuries I've ever had in my life was this huge callus splitting down the middle. In our hearts, friends, when they get hard and calloused, it's difficult for those things to get broken. And it's painful when they come off because we have this sudden realization of how far we were from where we were supposed to be. The farther our heart is from the truth, and I might add, the harder the callous is, the more difficult it is to remove. We mentioned last week in the New Testament, they were battling this way of thinking called Gnosticism. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning, in Sunday school. In Gnosticism, Uh, There's a lot of things to it, but one of the basic things is that they said your body and your mind were separate. Your body and your spirit were separate. So anything that you did with your body, it didn't affect your spirit. That was this deal they had come up with, meaning that it actually wasn't a sin to to give in to the ways of the world as long as you decided that your spirit was good. Sounds kind of familiar, right? And then, as now, there was this temptation to do whatever felt good in the moment. To live in sin. And not only to live in sin, but to find a way to justify it. And that's when we know our heart is getting calloused, when we begin, instead of just to live in sin, to say, well, here's the reason it's okay. Here's the three words of a Bible verse that I can find to justify what I'm doing. 
For those who are godless and they live for pleasure, the question is, for those who are striving to walk in the light, for those who are striving to not be who they were before, how do you exist in a world where those four things we just talked about are all around us? Because if we're honest, man, all those four things we just talked about, they're all around us. But we remember, uh, like that video at the beginning was saying, right, the darkness has no power over the light. In fact, even the smallest amount of light seems very, very bright in a place that is very dark. And in our own lives, we guard against those four characteristics of the ungodly. We make a choice every single day when we wake up in the morning to press into the things of God. To reject the temptation to take the easy way out and go back to the shadows for the day. We remember that by the power of his mighty name, not by our own strength, but by the power of his mighty name, that we aren't who we were before. We aren't who we were before, friends. The next couple verses, they show us how not to slip back into who we were before. Next we see that. Number two, we learn something new. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me again. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So Paul just finished telling us there, hey, don't go back to what you were doing before. Just told us, hey, four things to look out for. But thankfully, Paul doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just you know, pull the trigger on the bazooka and say, now that I wrecked your whole day, go figure it out, right? He gives us a solution here. He tells us, you don't have to go back to your old ways, and the reason is because you have learned something new. Now, anything in life, if there is going to be a positive change, it involves two separate aspects, okay? One of those things, if you're going to make a positive change in your life, any change, it involves making a decision, right? It says, okay, I'm going to make a change, and I'm going to make a decision to do something different. But there is another part that's incredibly critical. Because if we don't learn something new, we'll go back to what we were doing before. You have to learn something new. If you're going to make a change, you not only have to decide to make the change, you have to learn something new. Great example would be losing weight. Now, I will admit I'm not an expert on this. I wouldn't say I've been in good shape for a super-duper long time. But I know from talking to people who do know about it uh, that it's, you can't just decide, okay, I'm going to lose weight and, and do it for a couple days, get the pounds off, and then they stay off, right? They never stay off unless you make a choice. Now, I could, though. I could walk out of this place. I think I've used this example before. I could say I weigh, I think, 172. I could say, you know what? I want to weigh 162. I'm good. Man, I am going to weigh 162 in the next over the next six weeks. So I go and I decide to do that, but if I go and I decide I'm gonna do that, but I don't change any of the food that's in my pantry, if I leave the Doritos and the potato chips with the French onion dip and the chips with the spinach and artichoke dip and the pretzels, you're catching on to a theme, right? I like chips and pretzels and things like that. I'll never forget, I, like the last time I did lose a little weight was when I stopped drinking a regular soda. I probably lost five pounds. Because I realized when I got a large, like, regular Coke at Jack in the Box or whatever, things are like 500 calories. <laughs> you know, we go, we fill them up, and then you go drink it, and you, you fill them up again, right? But if I decide I'm going to lose weight, but I don't make any change, I don't take 
the snacks that are bad for me out of the pantry. I don't start exercising. I don't start drinking Coke Zero instead of regular Coke. I'm just going to go back to what I did before, even if I was really dead set on making the change. If we make a decision, a decision to change, but we don't learn anything new, the net result is that we at best stay the same. It's more likely that we're going to go backwards. If you remove something from your life and you don't put something else in its place, you're probably going to go backwards. And that's what Paul is exhorting the Ephesians about here. He's saying you don't have to go back because you have something new. You have Jesus, the Son of God. But there's a secret here, friends, that makes Jesus different than any other type of positive change we could ever make in our lives. You see, for all of us, if we accept Christ, there's a time when we hear the gospel and we begin to learn about the ways of Jesus. All of us, at some point, we hear that. We hear the gospel, and we begin to ask the question, could any of this really be true? Is he really the son of God? And we go research, and God speaks to us. The what separates Christianity from everything else that can affect change in their lives and in our lives. And there are a lot of things that can affect positive change in your life. But what separates Christianity from good exercise and good eating habits and reading a certain amount of books per year and getting good rest is that we don't just learn about what Jesus teaches. We develop a relationship with him. We're not just learning what's in the book. We're developing a day-by-day relationship with him. Learning in and of itself, friends, is a one-way street. You can choose to learn all you want. There's information out there about a given topic, and we can go out there and learn it. But Christianity is not just learning about the things of God, but Jesus living inside of our hearts. And us, the people on this earth, becoming the children of the living God. That's what the Bible says we are. You need to know, friends, the Bible says it all over. One of my favorite spots is John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. This is a New Living Translation. Here's what it says. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Yes, of course, we learn something new. But we all know that the best kind of learning, it goes beyond our heads and it reaches down into our hearts. Now, I know there's many here who they would agree with me when I say that you never stop learning about the ways of Jesus. Those that have been serving the Lord for your whole life, longer than I've been alive, you never stop learning about the ways of Jesus. In fact, the longer we walk with him, the more we learn, the more sensitive we become to sin. In my experience, friends, long walks, that's when you tend to learn the most. You see, when we're walking in the light, that's when we learn something new. Finally, when we're walking in the light, number three, our nature begins to change. Just listen to what these last three Verses say, so incredible, verses 23 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, when we're in the light, we realize that we aren't who we were before. 
We start to learn something new so we don't go back to what we were doing before. And when those two things happen, our very nature begins to change. Our nature begins to change. That word nature is interesting. It's kind of a little bit hard to define. But our nature is just simply the deepest part of us. It's what's in there. Your nature is what is in there. When the chips are down, when the newness has worn off, and day-to-day life seems like a grind, and everyone's cranky in your house, it's what comes out of there. That's your nature. And our nature, before Christ, it says here, it was one thing. Before Christ, our nature was sinful. But it says right here to throw off the old sinful nature, to get rid of the old sinful nature. I don't know about you, but it can be hard for me sometimes to throw away something that's old. Anyone else have that issue in their life? It's so hard to throw away something that's old. Because the temptation is when it's something we're familiar with, even if it's not great anymore, we want to find reasons to keep it around. There's one thing in particular I tend to do this with, and that would be my shoes. You're probably wondering why there's two pairs of shoes on the stage here. Maybe you just noticed. These right here, this is probably uh, my favorite pair of Jordans that I've ever had in my entire life. If you're a shoe person, as you can tell, I know, I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, If you're a shoe person, you're going to say, hey, those look like the Jordan Cement 3s. They're not Cement 3s. Cement 3s were like super rare and you don't wear them. Someone like chewed me out one time because I thought I had bought these $1,000 shoes, which I would never do. And we're wearing them around, okay? But this is my favorite pair of Jordans I've ever had. I mentioned to you sports a whole bunch, right? I love to play sports. And I've played enough sports that just my feet and my ankles are cranky, right? And I did not have expensive shoes when I was a kid. My parents were wise and smart, and they did not buy me expensive shoes when I was a kid because my feet were growing, and I would just destroy them, right? My son, John, and Luke, they're going to be asking for expensive shoes, and they're not getting them until their feet stop growing. I can tell you. But eventually, I was able to buy my own nicer shoes, right? These are probably 100 bucks, and they were comfortable. And man, did I wear these things and wear these things and wear these things so you can see, right? And I still have them because I wear them to like softball games and stuff. But you can see, you know, the bottom is completely torn out of them, right? You can see, you, what's that? <laughs> you can see like, you know, you can see like the inside of it, the plastic part because the fabric's completely torn up, right? If I wear these when it's wet, the water just goes straight through. But for some reason, for a long time, I really wanted to keep these shoes around and wear them every day. Because I think they look cool, right? They, they look like Jordan Cement 3s. The problem is that eventually, they're not that good anymore. And the thing is, I have better, nicer shoes. Here's my Jordan MA2s that I wear around more often these days. Again, 100 bucks or so. Some of the most comfortable shoes I've ever had. But the thing is, I can't wear these comfortable shoes unless I put down the old junky ones. I can't. I can't do both. I can either walk around with my feet hurting and soaking on a day like today because it's raining and my shoes can't keep the water out. Or I can put on the new and more comfortable ones. That's the way it is with our old nature. The thing about shoes is that you can only wear one pair at a time. And wearing the old ones by definition means you can't wear the new ones. Our nature is the same way. Until we throw away the old nature, we can't put the new nature on. 
The two things can't exist together. Fortunately, we have Jesus to help us when we accept the new nature. By the way, it tells us right in here why we must throw away that old nature. And it calls back to those first verses we read. The old nature is a calloused heart that can't feel anything. The old nature is a heart that lives for pleasure. It says right here that the old nature is corrupted by deceitful desires. And when something is corrupted, it can't carry out the function that it was made to do any longer. You've all seen this with a computer, right? You go to install something. Uh, you know, if you like to play computer games, you go install it, and you, you click on the download, and it's going. Then it pops up, and it says, what? Oh, this file's corrupted. Uh, you can click on it again if you want to, but if the file's really corrupted, it's not going to work. Can't do what it was made to do in a heart that is corrupted with sinful desire. It can't accomplish what it was made to do. So how do we take on this new nature? Verse 23 right here tells us, like I said, Paul, he gives us some advice here. Verse 23 tells us we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. You can see the NLT version up there. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. I just like the way the NLT puts it a little better. Sheds a little more light on it. Let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who comes into us when we accept Jesus, let the Holy Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. If you were here on Wednesday night, we touched on this a moment ago. We talked a little bit about this concept of sanctification. We defined it on Wednesday as God's ability to change our lives. That concept of being made new, or as the NLT says, the Living Translation, uh, that concept of being renewed is so powerful. What this means is that God can take the old broken nature that we all have, the old pair of shoes that lets the water in, and he can do the miraculous. What God can do is he can take the old broken nature and he can make it new. And the thing about being renewed, friends, Some of you have lived this more than I have. The thing about being renewed is that the process is incredibly beautiful, but it's also at times painful. Because to get there, to get to the new, you have to strip away the old. And as we said earlier, when we were talking about the callous heart, the tougher the callous, the more painful, the more time-consuming it is to remove. And the work can be hard. But I'm here to tell you, church, you don't have to do it on your own. Because God is the most meticulous, detailed restorer there is. And someone needs to hear this this morning. God knows what your heart was made to be. Regardless of what it is in this moment, regardless of what it is you feel about yourself, regardless of the lies the enemy is telling you God is the most meticulous, detailed, loving, restorer there is, and he knows what your heart was made to be. Verse 24, it tells us what his, new de- what his desire is for us, to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Did you catch that? That is the part 
that gives us hope, the part about what we're created to be. Because we weren't created to be like this world, to be separate from God. We were created to be like Him. Everything is made to do something. And being like Jesus is what we were made to do. And if we're created to be like Jesus, even if we have drifted farther than we wished we would have, that beautiful heart that is the inside of every one of us, just waiting for restoration, to, to be made new, to be renewed in Him today. You see, friends, when we are walking in the light, our very nature, what is deep inside of us, begins to change. And that, friends, that's who God is. The one who lovingly cuts through the hardness of our heart, and He reminds us daily who it is we were made to be when we place our hope and our trust in Him. So here's what we're going to do, friends. Uh, we're going to get ready to sing in a moment. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I just want to pray over you today, pray over you as the church, and then we are going to sing for a moment. And the purpose of doing that is I just want to give the Lord some space this morning to do the restoration and the renewing that only He can do. To walk these rows and, and to uh, do some work on those calluses that we tend to let build up, to restore our sensitivity to the things of the Lord. Lord, I just pray over your people right now, and I sense that there's some who, uh, some of this is ringing true to them. But this morning, they're ready for their hearts to return to you 100%. And I pray that as we get ready to sing about how you are our firm foundation, the rock on which we stand. I pray that you would begin to uh, just strip away the old stuff. The cares that this world tends to put on us, Lord, I pray that you would begin to come against and move those even now. Lord, I pray that hard hearts in this moment would begin to soften. The little corners of our heart and our life that We've never been able to surrender to you because they've got those calluses around them. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would begin to cut through those today. And the work might be hard and it might be a little painful, but Jesus, I pray you restore our sensitivity this morning. Lord, for those this morning uh, that they just want to have that godly nature that Ephesians is talking about, I pray you would uh, restore it unto them this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your grace and your mercy, your sacrifice for us, we don't have to be who we were before. And I pray that every person in this room, before we walk out in a little while, they would make a choice to continue walking towards you instead of slipping back into the shadows. Friends, would you stand this morning as we get ready to sing? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing each of us for a few moments. Pastor, I'll meet and the team are going to lead us. You can stand. And... Um, I'm just going to be down here. If you feel like you need to pray to rededicate your life, accept Christ for the first time, uh, come find me. I'd love to pray with you. With the rest of us, we're going to press into the Lord just for a few moments before we dismiss this morning. So let's sing together. He is our firm.